Thank you, Mark. Um, and again, we'll move on because we're going to have a panel discussion after we've heard from the final speaker in this session, who, of course, is John Martin, who is the co-director of the uh, Yale UCL Collaborative and has been really responsible for developing much of the many of these initiatives and, in particular, uh, uh, dri a driving force behind uh, this particular initiative. And John is going to talk about something which is you might think is slightly away from uh, medtech, uh, but actually has many technological aspects to it. That's targeted biologics, the future of medicine, innovation, and interventional therapeutics. Thank you very much. Uh, Alexander asked me to talk about the future of the universe in relation to uh, de devices in, in 10 minutes. And I, I, was, I was reading an article by the chairman of Google two weeks ago. And one of the themes of my talk to you is that if industry is going to be successful, industry needs new idea, which is powerful. As Julian said, we've got to put together physics, biology, and medicine. And the advance in all those at the moment is almost exponential. We have incredibly, almost infinite possibilities of doing technical things. The key is going to be how you get the idea that puts that together that is successful. Successful for healthcare, that's for our social function. Successful for generating wealth, which ultimately has to be a social goal as well. Now, the article said in 30 years' time, there'll be one world computer in which we will all take part. And there are three elements to computers. One is knowledge, which is at the moment held by Google. One is communication, which is held by, by Facebook, owned by Google, it's par excellence. And the other is geographical situation to place those, which is Google Maps. Put those three together into one unified system and you have a world computer which will be the only computer we will be involved in. Now, whether that has Orwellian implications politically, I don't know. What I like is it is a fundamental idea of advance where that industry is going. I find such ideas lacking in medtech. I think that there's no big thinking, and this chap here in front of me is nodding. You agree? You do uh, agree. And we're interested in small advances which are quantitative, getting another 1% increase in, in our profits, and we're not thinking like that. Will you take part in the discussion at, at the end of this? Thing? Good. Now, in devices, we have a, uh, and I'm not per excellence a devices uh, expert, but I can see we have a stagnant market. We've got increased competition in very small advances and diminishing return. And if you read the British Medical Journal last week, there was a, two very good meta-analyses. Uh, one was demonstrating biodegradable stents that we thought might be the, the answer to, to the industry have an ambiguous advantage, a little bit better on restenosis, a little bit worse on late thrombosis. 
And I think devices have a potential that cannot be perceived by industry. Industry is locked into small thinking about engineering, about metal and movement. And new ideas over the last thousand years have come from the university. There is good precedent. The history of the world over the last thousand years is the spread of European idea around the world. I include Yale in that, which is part really of the British Empire in, 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 its, in its origin. But apart from China and Japan, the whole world idea has come from European idea. And if you analyze where that came from, it came from the European University whether it's in politics or economics or philosophy or mathematics, uh, Newton in Cambridge. And what we're trying to do in the ADCL Collaborative is to put together the joint idea of two great universities and then invite industry to benefit from the creativity of that idea. And we have to ask ourselves, where does idea of quality come from? It doesn't come from farmer building a glass tower, putting a thousand people into it and saying to them, discover something. It doesn't happen. It happens par excellence in university, where you mix different disciplines together under an atmosphere combining discipline and freedom, and a freedom that doesn't often exist within industry. And the university relationship with industry has been deformed, and I'll come back to that. So in the past, we saw devices primarily as engineering structures, either to uh, keep blood vessels open as a valve that would open uh, uh, and, and close. I think the future of devices is uh, delivery of therapeutics to the organ they're in and distally. And I'm going to say a little bit about that. The barriers to that great advance which I think is a Googleoid idea. The barriers are cynicism. And I find a lot of cynicism in industry. Hypercriticism. Preservation of the status quo, both within university and with industry, but particularly industry, where it is dangerous to bring up big ideas because you might be <coughs> criticized. And because your, your own preservation within that industry depends, to some extent, on preservation of the status quo. Regulatory inflexibility, and we're going to hear from the regulators later in, in, this, uh, in this meeting, a very important uh, element of uh, Alexander. Uh, and contact with a limited environment that the industry, the device industry, is locked in within itself, to some extent and is looking over the parapet uh, from Johnson & Johnson to Abbott with binoculars to see what they're doing without, ex without exploring the enormous environment of the university that we want to offer you. Right, I think therapeutics that are going to be delivered to bring about the big change delivered from devices are gene therapy, stem cells, antibodies, siRNA, for example, and other biologicals. I don't want to go into the details of those. And these will be delivered to the wall of the organ in which the device is. And that might be the coronary artery, but it might also be the gallbladder or the fallopian tube, 
for example, or it might be the carotid artery with effects on the brain. And then delivery of therapeutic elements from that device to the distal organ, whether that's the brain or the ovary or whatever. And you're not thinking about that at the moment. Now, if we take gene therapy, uh, and Mike Simons and I have a big, tough debates about this uh, within the LUCF laboratory, there was hysterical response from the pharmaceutical industry to one death in the United States that closed down the whole area in industry. Well, I, was in, I was actually in, involved in, in that at the time because I founded a gene therapy company which found life very, very difficult. But research was maintained within the university. One of the things I'd like to put to you is there is going to be a renaissance of gene therapy very shortly. And those who understand that and can link to universities will be ahead of the field in the devices industry and delivering gene therapy to organs. Local delivery is the future of gene therapy, where you don't have systemic effects. That's a general principle, I believe. And I believe the adenovirus is safe, and it is key to local delivery. And how do you get local delivery? Through devices. So really, what we need is a conference on, again, I'm getting nodding here from this chap who I've never met before. You, are, you, are you from industry? He is from industry. So we need a conference, Brian, on devices, the adenovirus, and local delivery. A two-day conference. What does that mean for industry? Where are we going to take that science and that exploitation? So uh, I just put this up. This was published uh, this year. This is the world's first uh, phase three trial of gene therapy. It was successful. The reason it's not on the market is because of immense regulatory barriers, because the company that I founded changed the statistical model halfway through the phase three to open another arm to compare a new competitive therapeutic to the therapeutic under test. And the regulator said, sorry guys, you shouldn't have done that. That's not a pure statistical approach. Do another phase three. And that led to the collapse of the company. So look at the effect of the regulator on a field. And I hope the regulators can address this question when they speak later. But this is published in The Lancet the, uh, last year. This demonstrate that gene therapy does work. Now, uh, Anthony Mather, who's at the back, will be talking about our Yale UCL project by a magistrate funded by the European Commission uh, later, where, we're, where we have achieved uh, local delivery of therapeutics from a novel stent. I'll leave that to, to Anthony. But that's been uh, achieved through interaction between a small German uh, company called Qualimed. Is anybody here from Qualimed yet? No, they're coming in later. But the fact that they were a small company, they were innocent. They were looking for ideas and where to go. They were not an Abbott or a J&J. &J. 
we were able to sit down with them and they said, guys, tell us what to do. And we went out and we got six million euros from the European Commission. This is a fantastic project that it is going to change the concepts in, in the industry. But we could only do that with a small company who were open to us to lead them where we wanted them to go. Now, uh, the, the power of gene therapy uh, is, is shown in the, this study. This is uh, Everest, is another European Commission-funded project that is uh, led by uh, University College by Anna, Anna David, uh, again with six million euros funding from the European Commission. The problem here is these two babies were born at 40 weeks gestation both in their mother for the same amount of time. The chap on the left had decreased blood flow through the uterine artery to the placenta, starving him of oxygen and of nutrients. So we had the idea, if we could put the adenoviral gene therapeutic containing vascular endothelial growth factor, which is a vasodilator, into the uterine artery, when we identified the defect at 21 weeks, increased blood flow, could we make babies like this who were born perhaps blind or with learning difficulties into normal babies? When we did it in the sheep, it worked. And in, in a randomized control trial, where all the, all the sheep came from uh, one uh, sire, we were able to make small lambs into normal lambs. And that these normal lambs are normal and are gambling around the fields. Uh, when we do glucose tolerance tests on them, for example, they are less diabetic than, uh, they're, they're, than controls. So gene therapeutics in the uterine artery does work. And we're just at the moment going through our toxicology to put it into the first human female in University College uh, next year, the beginning of, of next year. Now, if you think about the possibility of delivering that gene therapeutic from a device in the uterine artery, from a device in other situations, where you can have a local effect and a distal effect, which I think is one of the principles of the future of devices that, that I, I want to sell to you. Uh, <clears throat> stem cells as well. Uh, Anthony Mather will talk about this later, but stem cells, I also believe, have a great therapeutic future. They need to be delivered locally. How do you deliver them locally? Via devices. And there are two sorts of stem cells that might go into therapeutics. One are engineered cells from industry, and I don't think they're going to go anywhere in the next 20 years or 30 years. Very trendy to talk about them. Governments put lots of money into them, Julian, and it is a complete waste of time because of the, the uh, regulatory hurdles, because of the danger of producing tumours, the unpredictability of it, and antibodies that might destroy them. And why, do, don't, why go down that route when academics are working on your own autologous bone marrow cells that you have. That can repair your body. Why is industry not interested? Because they're not patentable. 
and uh, Anthony will show you later how we've made advances uh, in, uh, in London in, in, this, in, in this area. And what is needed is a combination of devices and autologous stem cells to take that area forward. Julian, could you take that message, please, to the government? They should stop investing in things that aren't going to work because of lack of seeing what the future is, and they should invest in things that will work. And Anthony has been leading uh, studies in heart failure and diet cardiomyopathy with Bill McKenna, who's at the back, where we have demonstrated that these cells do work in repairing the heart. But I can't tell you the results because we haven't got them uh, to a publication status yet, also uh, in acute myocardial infarction. And the problem, the, the philosophical problem, is that we don't know how these stem cells work. And I've been very criticised by taking forward a therapeutic where we don't know the mechanism. And Mike Simons is one of my biggest critics in that. Uh, and, but I say if the thing works in animals and is safe, then we have to do human experimentation. And I've moved from doing experiments and everything from the limulus crab to the monkey in my career to doing human experiments. And what the devices industry needs is this combination of, through the university, of biologics and devices, but of far more human experimentation. And that's where the regulators have to help us do that to uh, uh, advance. Okay, the university has the potential to deliver. I think you did think in the, in the past we were uh, a load of boffins. Uh, I think the, the fact that we've got you all here, that Yale UCL is working, means we, we can deliver. Uh, in the past, the relationship has been deformed. Universities have suffered from 25 years of low-risk, small thinking because of the way that we've been funded. And this has been primarily a fault of government through lack of funding has made us compete for a smaller and smaller pot, which is refereed by our enemies. Therefore, we have had to think low-risk. Don't advance. Do something that's incredibly safe to get your next five years funding. So we've been to industry with that same attitude and knelt in front of companies like medieval begging monks saying, please give us a contract. Tell us what to do. We will be your servants. Okay. Isn't that true, Julian? And that has been wrong for industry and wrong for university. The university has got to drive the intellectual agenda with industry. And industry has got to respond to that. Now, that might seem obvious, but it's not obvious. That idea needs thinking about. The university has got to drive the intellectual agenda and not response, respond. And it needs a generous approach from industry, and we need new relationship structures, Alexander. And uh, I thought your presentation was really super because you have got an outline of the LUCL structure in relation to industry. And that's the sort of new structure that we need. <clears throat> I've been involved in, in founding a, a company that we call Magnus Life Science, which is a new structure, which is funded by a combination of private equity and the European uh, Union. 
where we have science being developed in the university with uh, de-risk science at the moment, with uh, rigid milestones, where we're going to take five projects to demonstrate efficacy in patients in the, in the National Health Service, and then at that point, sell to industry. So I think one of the changes that has to occur in the relationship to industry, you have to accept us being involved in more development to a later stage, and then it coming to you, instead of you coming in and doing little things with us very early. Uh, and part of the, the, the new approach of Magnus Life Science is the shareholding of the company is held partly by the university scientists involved. That's never been done before, but it gives a great disciplined incentive to drive the project forward. Uh, this, in, this, in fact, uh, Julian, well, I didn't know you were going to say that. This is the, 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 the article uh, in which I put forward uh, several of these ideas, uh, and this is what the, the editor said. We need, I don't put this up for you to read what I wrote or what was said about it, but we need new thinking. We need a billion pound fund in the United Kingdom. And we need a new approach between the university, which is not fulfilling its potential, the National Health Service, no matter what, what has been said here about it, is not fulfilling its potential. My estimate is about 5% of the potential is fulfilled. Every patient should be a research patient in the National Health Service. And the whole world should be take, taking part in that. So, there's an urgent, please, my last slide. Those companies that truly understand the relationship between companies and the university might win, as I think Google will win. Thank you very much.